Rusty Quill presents. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It turned to me and it had no face. A twisted human figure crawling like a spider. And then all we hear is the creaking of that door. I dismissed it as a dream. You know when you can just feel something is hovering right behind you. They could see us, but we couldn't see them. Hello believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. I'm Sapphire Sindalo. As a Filipino-American who's been obsessed with the supernatural my entire life, I've always been disappointed by the lack of diversity in the paranormal community. So I created Stories with Sapphire, an award-winning podcast that is on a mission to share more multicultural stories about ghosts, folklore, and spirituality from an empathetic point of view. Even if you're not a believer, I hope my show inspires you to look at the world a little differently. New episodes every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And in between those weeks, I release a spooky animated video on my YouTube channel. Head over to storieswithsapphire.com for more information. That's Sapphire, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-E. Salamat and good night. You're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dapu. Episode 29 Clara's Tale. Welcome, welcome. So glad to have you back with us. still afraid of me. Don't know what I am? I'll tell you. I have no interest in being cryptic. Like I said, I'm Mary, 
Not the one you know, but the one she wants to be. The Mari she wants to be, because she who you know is not Mary at all. Oh, sorry. I said I wouldn't be cryptic. I am a... Kakambal. A twin soul, in a way. Her sleeping soul. Herself when she is not awake. I see what she sees, and I see things beyond what she sees. In dreams. Chai. Chichai, as her family calls her. Her nanai, her tita, her lola, when her lola was alive, called her Chichai, or Chai. Marilag was her given name, but rarely do you hear one's given name from the mouths of their loved ones. Do you know that Marilag means beautiful? Can you confirm? <laughs> Sorry, putting you on the spot there. Come on. You want answers. I don't know if I can give them to you, but you might have already guessed. I'm not supposed to be like this. I shouldn't be so detached from her. <laughs> but let's try and figure this out together, huh? How about that? Chai, Mary, moved to Toronto a couple of years ago. Worked hard, kept her head low. Got permanent residence like Nanai wanted. Mom, though Nanai would never respond to Mom or Mama. She was safe here, her Nanai said. And she was, for years. Then, a woman, bright like the sun, crying for help where nobody could hear her, but for this unassuming immigrant worker, working her unassuming job, barreling into her life by some miraculous accident, chased down by a horrible rotting thing, the origin of which was a mystery for a while. And the strange case came to the desk of two detectives, of a special department of two, who had, up to that point, only ever seen bodies. Only knew what they knew through tireless investigation, and the guidance of an old man who had once done the same as them. Knew just enough to justify their existence, but not enough to stop whatever threat bore down on the city they lived in. A beautiful man with a bright smile and a terrible bitterness for something that could not be named. A steady man with a kind heart and long-held pain behind his sharp eyes. Altogether, they made a great team, shared the same mission for different reasons, but all driven by the dire need to help. And then, along came a man full of magic he did not know he possessed, playing the charlatan guru 
entertaining the masses with what he had learned from parents long past. Healing people, nonetheless, because what he learned from his family was not something he could simply forget. Especially not the selflessness, the need to heal their community, that took them from him. A selflessness he promised himself he would not emulate. A promise he would break, but wouldn't you agree that's for the better? He had a bitterness too, quelled by the beautiful man who loved him, and the hand he took, Chai's, Mary's hand, so that he could learn what he could from what knowledge his parents left him, whatever knowledge he could share with someone just like him. And then there were five, and answers that only led to more questions. Elders, both broken up souls stuck in cursed objects, and walking amongst the living, powered by their deaths. Foci, sources of power that formed horrors around them, and a handful that would undo the harm. A benefactor, who held power beyond measure, feared by all other elders, challenged only by one, an erstwhile puppet master, who might have finally defeated him, if not for their disappeared leader's strange clockwork machine, and the death of a child the puppet master loved most. How thrilling it was to have a villain to fight, to be a hero, saving people. Until... Until there were people she could not save. We. <laughs> we could not save. I need you to remember something for me. I know you won't because this is a dream, and holding on to a dream is like holding water in your hands. There's only so much you'll remember, but please, remember this. Chai, Mari, has always been able to do the worst possible thing. Always. But you can't let her. What? What do you mean? The elders take power from fear death. The deaths of innocence power them because that is what their sickly magics have been designed to do. It is an unnatural thing to feed off of proximity death, but it does not come from nothing. There are things in this world that gain power from proximity to death, and they are more dangerous than any elder that has ever existed or will ever exist. Why? Why are you telling me this? Why do you think I'm here? I am the twin soul. I am meant to be she when she sleeps, and she is meant to be she when she awakes. There should not be a third thing. You should have been safe here. You should have been far from death. But now she is surrounded by it. And you should be afraid of what will happen when she finally... So... 
This is going to be difficult to explain. Because it's crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy kid's crazy uh, adventure when he was too young to know better. You know when you're a kid and you feel like you're invincible? Like you know everything. Like anything that made you feel even a little uneasy, made you feel like you were brave for facing it, and not immensely stupid. If I'm honest, even now it feels like a dream. It's easy to believe it was, it's just, just that I remember too much of it for it to be a dream. Maybe some traumatic nightmare seared into my memory to help explain the tragedy. I mean, can you blame me? Most kids wouldn't really know how to deal with the deaths of an entire family they grew up with. A family I used to know. Kids I used to play with. The older kid. He was my friend, um, but I don't remember his name. I, I do remember the younger girl, though. I remember because she liked to show me her little ballet dolls. They were from the Nutcracker. They must have been expensive at one point, but they were pretty old. All scratched up and the paint was all peeled off. They must have gotten it from a garage sale or a thrift store somewhere. She would make a point to tell me she was named after the main character, Clara in the Nutcracker. Though, even as a kid, I wondered if that was actually true, since Clara's mother didn't seem all there. The idea of her putting that much thought into her kid's name didn't seem to track. Hmm. Maybe they were overworked. Maybe they were going through something, but I never thought the parents were particularly parental. I don't think I know what their names were either, because they were either too complicated to retain, or because my mind discarded the information as unimportant. I remember everything else. I, um, I have nightmares about them. But I can't even remember their names. <sighs> Clara was a lot younger than us boys, but I liked her. You know, she was sweet, and um, her brother always made sure to take care of her. I don't remember if he liked her at all, but he clearly loved her. He was a pretty serious kid, her brother, always looking over his shoulder like he was worried his parents were watching from the window, even when his parents were, um, neglectful, at best. Not the type to bust him for playing with the neighbor, but when did I know? I didn't live with him. On most days, the kids couldn't come out to play. And when I asked about it later, Big Bro would tell me he had to finish up all the chores. 
I remember being surprised since, again, the parents didn't seem like the type to care. I'd see them go to church every Sunday, and I knew they taught the kids to pray and follow Catholic rules because, well, I, I remember being mystified by all the big old words they memorized, but other than that, Big Brother had to handle everything. He did let me follow him into the house a few times, and every single time I'd see his parents sunk into the love seats in the living room, empty-eyed in front of a TV, looking like zombies in the dim light. They'd be surrounded by empty bottles and cans of alcohol, takeaway containers that started to attract flies and ants, and cigarette ash that had spilled over onto the table with the piles of cigarette butts that overflowed from the ashtray. Like I said, I didn't know the situation. Maybe they were too busy at work and were tired after a long day. Maybe I just kept catching them at their worst. But I was on my buddy's side, and I could see how much effort he put in. And he was just a kid, twelve or thirteen, just about a year or two older than me, taking care of his sister and his parents. Mm. Mm. Okay, listen, how about we just call him Billy for now? His name definitely wasn't Billy, but it's much better than Big Brother. Sometimes I'd offer to help out, just so we'd have more time to play. <laughs> kind of funny, I wasn't thrilled whenever my parents asked me to do chores at home. But I jumped at the opportunity to help Billy and Clara out when I could. <laughs> Billy, though. <laughs> Billy was... Awesome, you know, or at least I thought so. Back then, it was like he was an adult, but not the annoying kind that loved enough to tell me no, or the useless kind that sat around watching TV while their kid did the dishes. Hmm. He showed me the Swiss Army knife he took from his dad's shed and kept sharp, showed me how to use kitchen knives, how to light the stove told me how you can mix household chemicals to make a poison gas that killed people, which, obviously, he knew to avoid. All basic stuff you learned as an adult. But he made it seem like something illicit, I guess. Mostly because he did it without his parents noticing. Zombies in the living room, watched over by dusty little statues. Photos of a two-white Jesus and blue-eyed Mary, and whatever other saints I couldn't name with their unsettling eyes. I wonder how different he'd have turned out, if he wasn't so dedicated to caring for his sister. If he'd have ended up just as much of a nothing of a person as his parents. Or someone who acted out in the most dangerous possible way, just for a scrap of attention. Hmm. I liked Clara, but I was still a kid. When she interrupted us for a tea party or to play pretend in her room, I used to get pretty annoyed. But the one time I told her no, Billy pushed me hard enough that I hit the wall and got a nasty bruise on my arm. <laughs> I don't tell her no, he said later, when he gave me an ice pack with a stilted apology. She was so upset we were in a fight that she hid in her room for an hour, and at the end of it, 
We sat together having fake tea with real dollar store cookies, all forgiven. He's my guardian angel, she told me one day. <laughs> Mama told me at church that guardian angels look after me and make sure I'm safe from harm. So that makes Billy my guardian angel. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, before I continue, I need to ask, are you... If you're asking about what I think you're asking... Yes. Uh, I thought so. Um, I remember seeing something about it back in the day. I remember thinking, this is the first time I've ever seen our house on TV. But then, it wasn't our house. Not anymore. S sorry, this isn't relevant. I'm just stalling, I guess. Was... Was Clara... Was Clara very pale? Yeah. Lily white. Almost like a ghost. How did you know? Oh, wait, you probably have records for that sort of thing with the police, I guess? Oh, sorry. Um, go on. I don't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, please. Keep interrupting. I'm begging you. <sighs> okay. I remember the days before it happened, because the entire family had gone on vacation. I missed playing with the others, but I thought maybe if their parents took them somewhere fun, they weren't as bad as I thought. That, or they were finally shaping up. When they got back, I was excited to hear about the trip, so... I waited to see them come out into the yard so I could sneak through the gap and join them. First day, no one. Second, third, nothing. I knew for sure that they were home. I saw them come out of the car when they first arrived, and we still had a couple more weeks of summer vacation, so I couldn't meet Billy up at the bus stop. I could see his shadow in the window one night, but it felt like forever since I'd seen him and Clara. I I don't know why, but I remember feeling like I was counting down, like if I didn't see them for another day, it'd be too late. But too late for what? The fourth day was a Sunday. I remember that, because I remember watching from the window to see them go off to church, like always. 9.30 to make Mass. And nothing. It was the one thing I ever saw their parents, um, come alive for. And yet... I had had enough. I was going to sneak over, see what was going on. For some reason, I decided I had to go in the night. I was on a mission, and I knew I had to make sure my friends were doing okay. Check in on Billy, make sure Clara was safe. I didn't even think they were in any danger, but 
I had already made my mind up, and with a flashlight and half-useful supplies in my backpack, I snuck right over. It was a different world at night. The yard felt enormous, and it felt like an adventure. Crossing it in the busy quiet of evening near a forest with nothing but a flashlight, never really silent, with the chirp of crickets and wildlife in the bushes. I found the back door unlocked, shuffling in through their kitchen. When the door closed behind me, the comforting quiet turned into a strange, stale silence. I crept over surprisingly clean kitchen tiles, remembering how unkempt the kitchen had been, even when Billy did his best to keep things in order. I saw lights in the dining room, and, quiet as I could, crept over. I didn't want to get in any trouble for sneaking into someone's house so late, but I had to know what was going on that kept my friends and their family so busy. I was startled when I heard a voice. I only then realized I never heard before. A cheerful man's voice saying, You didn't say your little friend was coming to visit. And then a woman's. I'll set him a place at the table. Come on in. I was so relieved not to be in trouble that I didn't really think about the situation. I'd snuck over at 9pm, well past when I remembered them coming together for dinner. It wasn't the oddest thing about the situation, but I guess that was a sign, even a small one. I walked in, dropping my pack by the wall. The dining room was brightly lit in a way I'd never seen, and there was this amazing smell. So much food laid out that you'd think they were celebrating Thanksgiving in the middle of summer. I saw Billy at the table, sitting in front of the spread, smiling. I'd never seen him smile like that. I remember how weird it was that he looked like, well, um, he looked like a kid for once. I remember we had a good dinner. The food was delicious, and I was too relieved everyone was okay to notice how weird everything was. Okay, so I wasn't exactly the brightest kid. I didn't notice that the food was all laid out when the kitchen had been spotless and untouched. I didn't notice that Billy closed his eyes whenever he smiled, so I never got to see how they really looked, if his smile really did reach them. I didn't notice that I never saw his parents' faces. They were always turned away. They never sat down with us. Mom kept fussing over us, passing behind our backs to add things to our plates. Dad kept fiddling with the liquor cabinet, and I could hear him pour something for both of them. Wine, I think. It was red, anyway. But I did notice one thing. 
even if it took me till the end of the meal to do so. I couldn't stop myself from asking, Where's Clara? And Billy looked at me like he wanted to kill me right on the spot. And then his parents looked at me. She's not feeling well, said Billy, firmly, hand grabbing my wrist under the table, eyes begging without words for me to follow his lead. I wonder if it saved me, the fact that I didn't scream. I was too afraid to scream. They had no eyes. His parents. Black sockets with nothing inside, and out of them I thought they were insects. The way they crawled, but they were thick and swollen red, like ticks gorged on blood, fit to bursting. It was like a veil had lifted, and I saw that all the food we'd been eating, the delicious feast, was swarmed with these strange insects. The food itself seemed to be piles of half-eaten takeaway, long forgotten, molding and rotten, tipped over alcohol bottles and cans, cigarettes and ash. Billy's tight grip on my arm helped me stay grounded. Oh well, said his mom, shaking a few crawling things loose from her empty eyes. I should go check on her then. It's okay, Mom, said Billy, calmly. I can take care of her. I, I remember the smile on her face slipped just for a moment, but it slipped back into place just as quickly, and she lovingly stroked Billy's cheek with one finger, smiling warmly. If it wasn't for everything, it would have been a touching moment. Of course. You're your sister's guardian angel. Her archangel. Wait. I remember now his name. I can't believe I forgot. His mom called him a little angel because he was named after an angel. Michael. I called him Mikey. How did I forget that? Are you... Are you alright? I'm fine. Okay. Please, just stop me if I sound too crazy. Yeah? I'm afraid that won't happen, sir. Ugh. Making me feel old here. Where was I? Oh, right. Mikey. Mikey, I don't know how he stayed so calm. I don't know how he survived whatever horror movie bullshit his home had turned into, but like always, I looked up to him. I followed his lead, and I survived. I answered his parents' questions about staying over, like it was a normal sleepover. They said they were happy to have me, and I did everything I could not to flinch when Dad put his hand on my shoulder and laughed, dislodging crawling black-red things onto my arm. Um, 
Mikey asked if they wanted him to do the dishes, and they refused, saying he'd done enough, and the two of us left the dining room. I remembered to grab my bag on the way. I was sure that I would need it. We crossed to the empty living room, spotless now in stark contrast with its usual state, though the saints and the statues all bore the same empty sockets as the parents. No eyes, and yet I still felt as though they were following us. I was startled when I saw something in the darkness, pale white feet at the top of the stairs, and Mikey booked it, skipping steps to get up there when he saw what I did. I remember hearing half his whispered argument when I caught up and saw Clara, tiny in Mikey's arms at the top step. She was filthy, her hair in a tangle, but she looked more real than the rest of the house, like whatever was wrong with everything didn't quite touch her. I told you to hide, he'd said. I heard another voice, she'd answered, as we all hurried back to their room before someone overheard. Their room was no different to the rest of the house, perfect at first glance, beds made and dolls all lined neatly in a row, but when I looked up, I saw dark, wet corners, like bloodstains, advancing across the ceiling and dripping wet things onto the ground that would crawl away on their own. My stomach was too heavy for me to throw up whatever I'd eaten. But I heard Clara's stomach rolling, even from where I stood, and I dug around my pack for some snacks I'd brought. Chocolate bars, granola bars, and jerky. Things I thought constituted survival food, like I'd seen on TV. Mikey didn't even think of having some himself. It all went to Clara. She was ravenous. I had no idea how long they'd gone without real food. It had been four days since they got back, but I got the feeling that it had been way, way longer for them. As she ate, I asked Mikey what happened. He said he didn't know, only that at first his parents had taken them on a trip, nowhere far, just a drive down to Niagara, just to get out of the house, as a reward, his mother said, for being such well-behaved children. They spent very little, only so much on food and gas. They didn't even ride the ferry through the falls, but they were happy, out in the sun, and that was all that mattered. Even if Clara stayed pale and his skin burned before he could tan, they were allowed to pick something out from an old thrift store in town before they left. His parents bought cheap little porcelain angels, gifting a golden-haired archangel to their son, and Mikey found Clara a little treasure, a tiny, beautifully crafted nutcracker puppet, its strings cut long ago. Clara returned the favor with a little trinket, a lone cufflink scuffed and aged, but made of what she claimed was real gold. Said she wanted to find an M, but could only find an S. A secret treasure, she said. 
not so secret when his father asked to see it on the car ride back, seemingly enthralled by it. He never gave it back, but Mikey didn't care, because on their way back, their parents surprised them with a delicious diner breakfast, allowing them to pick whatever they wanted off the menu. Money, not an object, they claimed. It must have been a nice surprise. Even I knew how little they had to spend at the best of times. When they got home, their parents carried them to bed, and when Mikey woke the next morning to prepare breakfast, he found the house spotless for the first time in a long time. His parents had prepared him breakfast, somehow up much earlier than he. A delicious meal, a bright morning, it was enough to make him forget about Clara, just for a little bit. But when he was done, he was so excited to share the delicious meal with her that he ran to fetch her from her room. It was on the way up the creaking steps that he felt something stuck between his teeth. And when he spat it out, it was an engorged, red-crawling insect, the size of a lemon seed that exploded into blood when he squished it between his fingernails. He ran back down and saw what he'd eaten, and he told them, for the first of many times, that Clara wasn't feeling well. He'd said it for weeks, and the parents who finally turned to him with empty, crawling eyes never challenged him about it. Though, he claimed, it felt like they were just waiting to catch him in the lie, waiting to catch sight of his sister if he was too careless. He was hiding her in the old trunk they used as a toy box, another of their thrift store finds. It was so old that there were holes in the leather top and cracks in the wood. In particular, a gigantic crack along a back corner that faced the bed. It worked so far, and all Clara could eat and drink was food they'd hidden in the closet for when their parents forgot to feed them some nights. Their real parents, I mean, or their old parents, whoever the new ones replaced, the kind, responsible, loving, predatory things that waited patiently for Mikey to slip up. They want us both, he said, and without another word, I knew he'd never let that happen. So we planned. I would sneak Clara out, he said, save her, take her with me, even if I had to find some way to fit her in my backpack. There was no mention of what would happen to him if we succeeded. And after we planned, they prayed. I prayed with them, following Mikey's lead, even if I didn't really know what prayer would do. St. Michael, St. Gabriel, St. Raphael, St. Peter, St. Paul, St. John, save us from the fires of hell and lead all souls into heaven, especially those in most need of your mercy. It plays in my head sometimes, that prayer, like an old song that's burned into your brain forever. I slept in their room that night, even as the dark stain on the ceiling crept ever further into the room. I woke to darkness, 
like no time had passed at all. But Mikey was up and dressed. He said he'd speak to his parents over breakfast, and we should go to the cellar. There was a little window there, I knew, just big enough to fit a skinny kid like me and a tiny girl like Clara. The door to the cellar was far enough from the dining room that we could avoid notice. Mikey handed me his dad's Swiss Army knife, freshly sharpened, a blade so fine that I accidentally cut my finger when I tested it. He gave me a nod and a quick hug, but when he turned to Clara, she begged him silently to come with us, saying nothing. He refused and held her tight for a long time before sending her on her way with a tender kiss to the forehead. That was the last time I saw him. His back as he walked into the dining room and greeted his parents good morning. <sighs> we shut the cellar door behind us, quiet as we could, and held our breaths as we crept down the steps with only my packed flashlight guiding the way. It was hell. The walls were crawling and roiling, creeping and wet at once. Horror. We could hear more than we could see. We almost slipped on those steps. We stepped on some of the crawling things on the way down, slicking those stairs with blood. Now that I think about it, I don't remember them being bugs at all. It was more like blood come alive and taking the shape of bugs, crawling all over walls that seemed like they were made of fat and flesh and muscle, like we were in a stomach, the innards of a house. Even so, it was still the same house, and the same window gave us a hint of pre-dawn light. I tried to find something to stand on so I could crawl through and pull Clara with me, when we both heard the cellar door bang open. The walls around us began to move. I desperately tried to jump for the window, but I couldn't reach at my height. I looked behind me and I saw their parents crawling on all fours down the steps, no longer bothering with even the thinnest veneer of humanity as they cried for Clara not to go. In a moment of clarity, I stabbed Mikey's knife into the wall and lifted Clara up, giving her a foothold as she pulled herself by the grass to safety. I tried my best to follow suit, but hands started to grab my clothes and shoulders, rough with cigarette burns and crawling with blood, stinking like alcohol and weak old takeout. Something was thrown through the window, something tiny, flashing gold, and the hands let go. I didn't look back as I pulled myself up by the knife so firmly embedded in the flesh wall, slipping on grass and mud. I took Clara by the hand, and we ran to the gap in the fence separating my house from theirs. <sighs> we have to go back, she said, in a quiet but broken voice. I realized she had her nutcracker hanging from a ribbon wrapped around her other hand. Mikey must have slipped it to her when he said goodbye. We 
to save him. And I... I refused. I said we should call for help, but that we couldn't go back. I promised your brother I'd keep you safe, I said, though that was an excuse. My promise to him was the last thing on my mind. I just wanted to get away, to have the adults handle it, whatever it was. It was only when I reached my own back door that I realized I couldn't hear Clara's footsteps behind me. When I looked down, my shoes weren't covered in the blood from all the crawling things I stepped on. My clothes weren't marked with the mud and grass we'd crawled on. My backpack was heavy on my back, and my flashlight was in my hand. And my neighbor's house stood in quiet, peaceful vigil over the fence, as dawn finally crept over the horizon. I was so exhausted. I snuck back into my room, falling asleep. I woke up in the clothes I'd dressed in the night before, and it was nighttime again, and out my window I saw my neighbor's house consumed by flames. Firefighters and police cars swarmed out front. My parents pulled me out of bed when they were told there was risk of the fire spreading and had no time to listen to me until they were given the all-clear hours later. They said the entire family died in the fire, though it didn't spread far, and the house still stood. It had apparently started in the dining room, where the entire family had gathered to eat, and there was little left of them to identify. By then... There was no point to me telling the story to anyone. There was nobody left to save. Hey, um, detective, I'm... I'm not crazy, am I? The nightmares, I remember everything, but... It couldn't have been real. But I remember everything. I'm not... No, Nathan. You are not crazy. It was real. Oh. You're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dapul. Hainai is a podcast produced by Motsi Dapul and Reg Helly and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode was written by Motsi Dapul, who also plays the role of Other Mary. The role of Donner is played by Leon Johnson, and the role of Nathan, Michael's childhood friend and neighbor, is played by Kal-El Tyler.
This episode, Clara's Tale, is part of our hiatus episode lineup and connects the St. Patrick's case, part one and part two. All our hiatus episodes act as a prologue for our season one finale, High Nye Act Three. If you'd like to learn more about High Nye, head on over to our website, highnaypod.com. That's H I N A Y P O D.com. Or follow us on all our socials, at High Pod. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to catch our episode premieres live and chat with other listeners. Or follow us on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're still fundraising to hire a dedicated editor, so please donate to us at coffee.com slash highnipod. That's ko-fi.com slash h-i-n-a-y-p-o-d. Or become a patron at patreon.com slash highnipod for exclusive content such as bonus episodes and audio and video extras. Special thanks to our co-producer, Jesse Goodsell, for continuing to support us and our work. And as always, thank you, we love you, and hanggang samulit.